welcome to The Progression Puzzle, the podcast that provides you with invaluable pieces of career wisdom brought to you by Barrington Hibbert Associates. I'm your host, Michael Barrington Hibbert, and across the podcast, I'll be speaking to a variety of esteemed leaders, thinkers, and inspiring figures from the world of finance, banking, professional services, and beyond to understand how their progression puzzles have pieced together. From words of wisdom to pointers on progression, we'll be equipping you with the skills, practices, and learnings necessary, not only to navigate corporate environments, but to thrive within them and ultimately pursue your professional goals. My guest today is Michael Blakely, co-founder of Equitas, an exciting platform that uses technology and data to create a fairer hiring process. Back when it was launched in 2019, Equitas was a finalist in the enterprise software category at Invents, I believe, an annual competition organized that recognizes and rewards local innovations and proof of concept ideas that have the greatest commercial potential. Michael is very much a man after my own heart. He's on a one-man mission for equality and fairness, committed to leveling the playing field in the recruitment process. He's also an avid sportsman and regularly partakes in jiu-jitsu, rugby, and half marathons. I've got my hands full in this session. Michael will be talking to us about his role as a co-founder, his career journey, and how we can make the recruitment process more inclusive and much, much more. Michael, I've built you up, a massive introduction. I'd like to wish you a welcome to the Progression Puzzle and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, Michael. Thanks very much for having me on here, Michael. Very excited. Um, I think that's one of the best intros I've ever had, so I don't, I don't think I can be topped at this stage. <laughs> well, well, Michael, you, you did write the, the introduction for me, and um, I think your mum proofread it for me as well. So uh, um, I don't think I, I don't think you want to get a better introduction than that. Look, I, I think first things first, Michael. Um, you know, please tell me about Equitas. What does the firm do? And what is your role within the organization? So Equitas, Michael, is interview software that's been specifically designed to reduce bias whenever it comes to the interview process and ensuring that companies try to build diverse teams. The way that we do this is we give them a super structured approach to interviewing. We help them capture their interview data, which until now was being lost. And then when it comes to the scoring, we try to make sure that we give them a best practice approach to make sure that they're scoring candidates fairly. Uh, in terms of my role, everything is is probably the best way to sum it up michael um it can range from helping out a bit on marketing it can be sales it can be fundraising jumping back and forth between uh, different roles so whenever you get going with an early stage company you probably don't realize how much you're signing up for um to kick off with but um the more you grow um i think the easier it gets so we're about a team of seven now um and whenever you get experts in to help out in those different roles the amount of learning is insane. Um, so yeah, but the favorite bit that I, that I love doing because I've been doing it over the last 10 years has been hiring. So that's the bit of the role that I absolutely love the most. And where was, where was the idea of Equitas born? You've mentioned that you've been involved in interviewing people. So to find an organization 
you know, because I, I understand from your, your accent, you, you grew up in Northern Ireland from a diversity landscape, from ethnicity. It's not hugely diverse. And I'm sure there's some um, intersectionalities in Northern Ireland that you can talk to us about. But, but where was this idea born from, Michael? Can you explain to the listeners and viewers a little bit more about that, please? Yeah, 100%, Michael. So my background has been as an interview and assessment specialist. So whenever it got down to that final stage of interviewing and assessing people, it was usually me sat in the room alongside other hiring managers from the company as well, trying to make sure that it was a nice, sort of fair, consistent process. And I've worked with some incredible people throughout my career, um, anyone from B, Ministry of Justice, loaded government contracts, and usually high volume. So after about 10,000 plus interviews, I got to the point where I just thought, hey, this is painful. There's got to be an easier way to do this. It was never a digital process to kick off with. And then bias, whenever you get started on your kind of interviewing and assessing um, journey and trying to you know, help companies grow and scale, a lot of people aren't aware of how much bias can creep into that process. But the more that you do it, the more that you realize there are so many factors that can come in. If I think back to my, my days at Aldi, I used to make some really illogical jumps between candidates because I didn't realize the kind of biases that were playing in. I would have seen on someone's CV that they went to McDonald's. I would have thought, hey, fast paced, they must be good. And therefore giving people a job who might have not been a good fit without kind of digging down deeper in there. Um, on the Northern Irish bit, um, you're right in terms of like ethnicity, it's maybe not the most diverse place in the world, but some of the universities are doing an incredible job to change that. So Ulster University in Queens are attracting um, really talented young individuals from all over the world to come and study there and encourage them to stay and work there. And they're encouraging a lot of foreign companies to come in, but closer to home, whenever it comes to, to diversity, it's always been from a religious point of view. Um, our whole community at one stage, in, too recent past was torn apart by religion. So yes, sometimes people think diversity, they'll immediately think gender, they can think ethnicity, but there's so many other factors that can come into it. And yeah, and within, within the hiring process as well, you know, back home, that, that could have been an issue. Only time in my whole working career when I was asked what my religion was, was when I was working on contracts in Northern Ireland because they wanted to make sure it was a nice balanced and fair panel whenever it came to interviewing someone and giving them a choice. That's really helpful. So, so Michael, can, can you explain to me, in terms of with the, the interview process, and again, we look at your organisation, is there an off-the-shelf programme which you, you'll have an organisation sign up to, or is it a case of one of your consultants, um, for example, you used um, Northern Ireland as a prime example to make sure that the paradigm of religion is obviously taken into consideration when you're going through the process. How does it work if, if client A wants to sign up to Equitas? What, what do you do as an organization to make sure if I worked in education or sports that the Equitas platform is all encompassing? So you're, you're right there in terms of off the shelf, Michael, it has to be something that's offered. So what we do is offer people structured interview frameworks. Now, we've got one that's growing and growing. Um, the more organizations that come on and use us, um, the more that we're willing to share interview materials, best practice as well. So we think in the long run, there's going to be a nice bit of virality to the platform um, because the more and more interview questions that come on there, the more that they work for organizations, the more that we're going to be able to share that and make sure organizations are, are using uh, a good approach. 
at the minute, a lot of organizations will have spent the time and invested in these um, already. So sometimes they're taking an analog approach um, for all their interview questions, their frameworks, and they're just lifting it and setting it within Equitas. And it's just one centralized platform that has all the interview materials that they're potentially ever going to need. Now, the next layer that we want to start working down into is really starting to validate whether these questions work. So if we start to track who people who've been hired through Equitas and work out, hey, what are the questions and answers that really proved whether they had success in a role or not, that's the point that you can really get um, to some really powerful data um, being used. And even just capturing that interview data and starting to link it across is super powerful for an organization working out, hey, are these good questions? Are they having impact? Are they making sure that we're hiring the right person for the role? And because the whole reason that we set up Equitas was for fairness and to ensure that there's fair hiring happening, we really do want to map it across and see if questions are negatively impacting people based on their demographic information as well. So that's the long-term dream is to really be able to get to the point where we can say to clients, these are the questions they should use. They've been tested. They don't have a negative impact on people's demographics. They're nice. They're fair, consistent. Make sure that your interviewers use them. That, that's really helpful. And I would like you to expand, Michael. Where, where have you seen greater take-up of the platform? So has it been in education has it been in the charity sector where have you seen the greatest adoption in terms of industry segment but also can you walk me through because i think something like this would work you gave me the example when you worked at audi and you saw a candidate from mcdonald's and it was fast-paced is this set at a certain level michael just in terms of you're looking at behaviors um, and you think it's more suited to entry-level type of positions so the assumptions that we tested when we got going, Michael, were exactly that. My background is usually high volume. Yes, I've worked with anything from entry level right up to you know senior directors and C-suite. And I made the assumption if we're making it easier to do a higher volume of interviews, automating every part of the process, that high volume is where it would perfectly sit. Now, whenever we've got it in the hands of our, of our clients, they've essentially just loved it so much that they'll use it for every role. So from those entry level, right up to like director levels um, and the where we're seeing the most success has been healthcare. And I think that's because in the last sort of uh, year or two, because of the pandemic, healthcare hiring, recruitment, HR processes have just accelerated by about a decade. You know, processes that used to be quite, uh, you know, old school, paper-based, had just been completely brought into like a whole new century as well. And they're used to the level of structure. So for us, where we find it, that an organization needs to be a, a big enough size where interviewing and hiring is a real pain point because they're doing it regularly enough. And if it's not working out, they really do feel the pain. But organizations who are too small, like SMEs, um, they tend to, you know, not always want the structured approach. They can look at what we do and be like, hey, this is this is overkill. You know, I want to sit and have a coffee and just have a chat. Uh, that process doesn't scale in the long run. I've seen that firsthand where people either get lucky or wrong if, if they use that really unstructured approach. But um, once people start doing a good volume of interviews, it's a good fit for us. And I think out of the, the, the organizations who care about hiring uh, in a nice, fair and equitable way, you know, public sector, healthcare, they're right at the top there. And they, they are passionate. And the people who work there are passionate about making sure that they're they're taking all the steps that they can. Other organizations, some of them, it is important. But there's others that sometimes, you know, it's not top of their agenda whenever it comes to hiring and, and how they're building an organization, or at least not yet. That's really helpful. And, and thank you. 
Um, I'm going to park Equitas just for the time being because this is about the progression puzzle. And I want you to be able to sort of walk me through how it all began. You know, you, of course, are a huge advocate of inclusion. And I understand, and you've mentioned on our production call, spending some time abroad was somewhat the catalyst for this. Can you share with our viewers and listeners about what that was and, and how it impacted you? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Um, so, like, China is probably one of the, the areas that started. Um, I always wanted to learn a new language, and I probably picked the hardest one in the world to, to learn, which was, was Mandarin Chinese. Please, please, please do not test this knowledge later. It's been years since I've used any of my Mandarin, okay? So, like, if there's anyone on the call, please don't, you know, do outreach yet because it's been about a good seven, eight years since I've used it. But it did take me on an interesting life journey where after university, I went out and lived in China. I, I worked there um, as a, a, an English language teacher, um, and I also studied um, Chinese alongside it. But it was the people that I met that, that were there. They just had a completely different worldview, whether it was the Westerners who were either traveling, working, living there, studying as well, or the locals in, in, in terms of the Chinese people that we got to meet. And it's whenever you live in a completely different culture, it's it's completely eye opening. And for me, like we, we talk about teams and like working together as a team and, you know, um, even sports that we covered at the start there as well. One of the best sports teams that I ever played with uh, was the rugby team that was set up there. They were called the Chengdu Pandas. And like the diversity of that team is insane. You have people from all over the world, multinationalities, local Chinese players as well coming on board to a sport that some of them had never heard about. Um, and just, yeah, it was it was eye-opening, it was credible. And that got me thinking about, hey, is it actually better to have, you know, a really diverse team working together to try and achieve some sort of goal um, off the back of it as well. And yeah, that, I took that back whenever I came back to the UK, started working at Aldi. It was it was fascinating to see it there. And the most diverse teams within their stores would normally be the ones that succeed um, and get the furthest. And like, I've just seen it throughout my career in the different companies that we worked with as well. Whenever you had a nice diverse mix of interviewers, hiring managers, it was more engaging to work in. The results were better. The team performed better. More accurate hiring decisions were being made as well. So yeah, it's it's all kind of filtered on from there. Um, and it, like the story, I don't know if you've seen this, Michael, or if you've ever experienced this, but the next um, party once COVID rules have kind of settled down, I don't know who told me this, but at the end of a night of a party, cornered in one room will be the people who have travelled, lived abroad, um, or you know, are just interested in other cultures. They might not even talk about it, but they'll always start to pull together and congregate in like a little corner, and like it's maybe just some sort of mindset shift that people have that even do whenever it gets to a late party and find out who they are, where they've been, if they've been expats and lived abroad, and they're there, the last ones there at the, at the end of the night. It's 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 fascinating. It's just I think there's something different with. With their minds and their worldview. Well, that, no, that's helpful insight, and that, that's that's fascinating. And I, I'm I'm interested in terms of you know you going to China, um, learning Mandarin. I'm really keen, Michael, to understand who are your role models growing up. Were you surrounded by adventurers? Um, were you surrounded by business owners, entrepreneurs? Where you got this natural curiosity to explore and expand your horizons? I think that would come from my family, Michael. So definitely um, on my dad's side, they were like explorers. So both my, my dad's probably traveled the world um, twice over. And if you ever get talking to him, 
please don't ask him about his travels because he won't stop you you'll lose like about two hours of your time just listening to like sound bites and, and stories like from from all over the different world they're absolute corkers but i've heard them about a million times now so i i tend to switch off uh, on some of them now as well and even my uncle um he was a proper explorer so he was going to the places like the arctic and antarctic um before a lot of people were and even at, at one stage it didn't last long he had a mountain uh, named after him um, but it turned out it was a volcano and it obviously went off and then melted and, and is, is now gone but the the stories they had that's still impressive michael still impressive yeah so they were definitely explorers on their side and like on the business side my dad he was super entrepreneurial uh, but you know he was a builder uh, and he would like you know build houses from scratch and there's there's a lot of parallels whenever it comes to building product about how you go about a project like that as well he was too nice he, he would do anything for everyone and that's uh, probably a trait that i see come across for me which is why it's nice to have a good team around me, uh, making sure that I'm not too nice um, all the time whenever it comes to, to working with clients as well. And like, yeah, even even on my mum's side, it's the same. The, the, the family's like dispersed all over the world. I've got an uncle out in America who's like an entrepreneur working out there as well. So always like surrounded by a family of, of, of kind of inspirational uh, people and like never worked harder. Like my, my mum and dad, you'll never meet two people who who worked harder um, throughout their their entire life uh, working full time while while we were going through school and on top of everything as well. That's incredible. And, and look, thank you very much for, for sharing this, Michael. Now, we're going to have some budding um, entrepreneurs listening to this podcast, Michael. What three bits of advice would you give to a budding entrepreneur or even someone who's a business owner at this present juncture? What three things would you give them? Again, you've, you've given a, a great example of your parents working hard whilst you and your siblings were at school but what three things would you would you recommend can i quote a, a guinness quote <laughs> which is one that i love um good things come to those who wait um whenever it comes to this sort of game it's it's all about patience sometimes waiting for the right opportunity Sometimes you're too early to market uh, with a concept and idea that you're doing and people aren't ready for it. It'll need tweaked, it needs tailored as well. So yeah, I, I love that one. The level of patience that's needed sometimes if you're like a body entrepreneur getting in something, it's yeah, it can take a while. It can take resilience on top of that. Um, the other one that I, I never realized linked back to my career so much and like the way that I love to operate and it works with everything is ask good questions and listen. So no matter what you're doing in your business, if you're hiring, that is like critical. That's the key to it. But I've tried to transfer it to everything. Whenever you're going to talks, listening in to other people as well, if you just think, hey, I'm going to ask at least one question, whatever this webinar is or whatever the, you know, that you, the content that you consume in, if there's people there that you're speaking to other founders as well, if you're able to do that, it just fast tracks your learning um, so much that it's unreal because, yeah, maybe whenever I started off way back on this journey, You'd be too afraid to like engage and like ask those questions. But hey, the more that you do it, the quicker you learn and the more introductions and network that you'll build off the back of it. So um, I know you've asked for, for three. Those would probably be the two I'd stick with. <laughs> stick, stick with two because I, I do want to um, pick you up on this. And I find this fascinating. You, you've mentioned patience and you, you know, describe yourself as an interviewer, an assessment specialist. And clearly you had been in this space for a number of years. Why was the pivotal moment 2019 for you to co-found Equitas as opposed to 
2013-2014 where again you've been involved in thousands of assessments Michael why 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 did you wait so long before you decided to to co-found the business initially I just thought someone else was going to do this and move into this space and there were other people out there there's like video software providers and I just before we even got going in 2018 when we first started thinking about it and like hey what should we build what should it look like and really had had a blank slate we we went out and researched everything else out there and we were just like somebody must be doing this already or going to do something that's identical or or be out there um, as well and we couldn't find anything exactly the same but whenever we thought hey this needs to be an end-to-end digital process one of the cruxes that we got to is just like hey how are we going to capture this this data like if it was written before if there's people typing this all doesn't make sense so i think in in 2018 going into 2019 it was still a bit early but the technology is catching up in terms of you know capturing that audio transcribing the text making sure it's end to end be completely cloud based as well so um i suppose i thought someone else was going to jump first i kept talking about it with everyone else and then at some point, you just you have to follow through. And like uh, in 2018, I said, right, I've got one more live contract. Um, and as soon as that comes to an end, it's it's now or never. Um, I'm going to take a plunge, do it, jump on it and go from there. Looking back, the one thing I thought to myself is it would have been better if we'd raised a, a bigger rounds early on. But that's the thing. Sometimes you think you can bootstrap stuff on a shoestring, but you learn whenever you get into it. You're just like, hey, to build something that's really incredible and game changing takes a good bit of investment um, and if you're going to get there quicker it, it's the way to do it so that, that would be the one learning I've taken from from 2019 and going into 2020. Well and, and the thing is Michael people will, will see the success that you and your other co-founder have had and you've hired six members of staff your team of seven now which is incredible but talk me through the challenges of starting the company you've mentioned about getting a live contract but talk to me about the challenges of raising money dealing with um, high maintenance investors, clients to onboard. I, I know that you're wearing a multitude of hats, but I'm really keen for you to, again, this is the progression puzzle. Walk me through the reality of what it's like to go out and raise money, the sleepless nights involved. I'm really keen for the listeners to understand the hard work that you and your co-founder and team have put into this. Yeah, and that's the thing. It is a team effort. There's like, even though I might have been out speaking, networking more, there was people in the background, like my co-founder, George, who was essentially, you know, prepping all materials, tweaking stuff, financial planning, everything that we need to get the round together as well. It was a team effort. And at the same time, you know, delivering for the customers that we had, you had to keep doing that, keep growing that in the background as well. We're doing it. The one thing I would say is you don't realize how much time it takes up. Um, after we kind of closed our first round, I had a like a 50% gap in my diary and um, just thinking to myself, all these conversations, calls, follow-ups uh, and things like that was now just additional time um, that was, was back in the diary. If I look back on it, um, I would speak to people who've been there, done it before, because that can just fast track your learning so much as well. There was people throughout my round, like experienced entrepreneurs or fundraisers. As soon as I got chatting to them, it just like accelerated everything. They could help. They would do intros to the right people, get speaking to them. And you'd get more and more honed, like with the pitch that you're doing, what people were looking for, what they're interested in as well. So uh, it's it's kind of this learning process and journey that you go through. And like whenever you're pitching with people, it's the same idea again as well. But yeah, if you speak to other people, it can go a lot quicker, a lot faster. Um, and yeah, I, I wish I'd spoken to them like day one. 
Michael, t- tell me, what, what was the feeling like when you and George had to pitch for your first amount of money? So the first call that you made, the first presentation to a potential investor, you know, walk me through that process in terms of the emotion, the nerves. Oh, it's, it's hilarious. You pick it up so much and you don't even realize, hey, you might have to do dozens of these, if not hundreds at some point. So that's l- looking back, if you could tell yourself, hey, just do it and learn, learn from the first one that you're ever going to do it would be great um, you'd be you know far in a far better position but this is the thing once you start to find people who are passionate uh, about what you're doing and believe in you as founders that's when it makes a difference because then they can introduce you to other people who have the same kind of similar mindset and even if your worldview doesn't align just yet they can make the logical steps of being like yeah if this and this happens then this is going to be incredible opportunity um, for for everyone who's involved but yeah don't overthink it. You'll always be nervous. And just the, the best bit that comes out of the back is the questions and the gaps that those early stage pitches will unveil. Um, they're going to grill you on anything from your numbers, your you know financial plan, what's coming through, and listen to those questions. And then you just know for the next one going in. And I've heard some people have that strategy where they'd go and pick out like maybe five pitches that they do, knowing that they're going to get completely grilled just to learn from them and then just think, right, now I know what I do. Now I go to the funds or the, the angels who I really want to speak to as well. Um, so a few interesting strategies, but obviously you don't want to waste people's time um, at the same time. So so one of the takeaways or the, one of the many takeaways is to be passionate about the content, passionate about and, and believing in um, the business idea. Preparation. So you, you've mentioned that it's, you know, you're maybe more the face, but George is more the detailed man when it comes to the presentation. But really understanding the, the numbers and being able to articulate what that looks like from a return um, on the investment to, to the stakeholders. But also another piece that we've not really spoken about, Michael, and I'm surprised this has not come up, is resilience. Is resilience. Talk to me about the importance of having resilience as a co-founder of a startup business, Michael, what does that mean to you, that word? If, if we were interviewing on it, Michael, that would be like top priority, like number one <laughs> would be definitely some sort of questions in around resilience if people want to go and be founders of a company because, yeah, the, it'll take a lot of no's on the client side if it's not quite right for them, they're not quite ready on the fundraising side as well. It's just, yeah, a lot of no's and it's, it's analyzing that and just thinking, okay, what was the reason why? Are they a good client fit? Are they a good investor fit as well? And just just moving on from there. So the quicker that you're able to rebound from any kind of things that go wrong, the better as well. So you have to be very thick-skinned, um, I would say, uh, the best way for it. But some of that's that's gold. So you'd far rather have someone give you super critical feedback on something that you're doing um, that they think is potentially wrong, because then you can just, as a founder, take it on board. If it's good advice, amazing, and adapt and change if you need to. Otherwise, you know, if, if not, you're the expert in your space. So you just have to think, you know, yes, take in all this advice, this feedback and, and make your own decision at the end of it as well. But yeah, the amount of resilience that's required is insane. Um, you never think of how many no's you'll get throughout the journey, um, but it's, it makes you better at what you're doing. Well, you, you sound like a glass half full type of guy, Michael, but, but what's been the lowest point? So I'm, I'm keen for you to provide some additional context. I want you to share with us some of your, your, maybe your biggest personal and professional success, but also talk to us a little bit about some of the, the real challenges. So again, you've mentioned 
fundraising. You've mentioned, you know, building a team. I'm sure there's been potholes in the way. Can you please sort of share one or two of those with our listeners? Yeah. So I'd say that the best thing that we've been able to do is some of the healthcare clients that we're working with in Ireland at the minute. It's you sit down and think about what we've helped them achieve and what we've done um, and grown as a company. It's been amazing. So anything from like directors of finance within a hospital being hired through to like hundreds of vaccinators uh, during a really difficult time that's hey it might have been a completely different process without us through to you know international nursing hiring they're hiring nurses from all over the world at the minute and bringing them in so in terms of our mission increasing diversity uh, it's it's helping them do that just by changing the process and the way things are done so and they're the best users like they the healthcare sector are so appreciative you can make their life easier and makes little product tweaks here and there to just make them better at what they do they're so appreciative of it and like that's why i love them um some some users not always tech savvy but once you show them once they're super quick and they'll just pick up on it like that so that's probably the proudest thing that we've done externally internally the team is awesome like I, we all are kind of gathered around that same mission of bringing fairness and the hiring but you look down at it and we've got completely different skill sets. Some people have different worldviews, backgrounds, and they're super diverse. The only trend that's starting to show up in our developer team, and we don't ask it at interview, is the fact that they all are, um, you know, football fanatics, um, which is starting to get a little bit strange because it never comes up and we're not specifically looking for it. But there's a few of them in there who are just football crazy as well. Um, in terms of lows, Michael, I, I oh, there's been so many. Um, there has been lots of different things. Like there was a time throughout the fundraising round, we had a couple of big names who I thought were coming in the round was going to close, and then it wasn't quite right timing for them as well. But you just had to pick yourself back up, learn from that, move on, um, and then other things. Like initially, we worked with you know a, a development agency, which is great. We got some incredible you know MVPs out the door for us. Really got us in the hands of users as well. But sometimes that took longer than you'd want it to, and it, it could slow the business progress down as well. So yeah, l looking back, I would have had in-house um, developers and technical team a lot earlier. But hey, you live and you learn for those ones. But uh, that's whenever it's going slow and you want to make things to move quickly, that's the, that's been a few pain points for us, um, definitely. So I've, I know I've met my match here, listeners, because uh, what Michael has done with each negative, he's turned it into a positive. But again, that has a direct correlation to resilience. And I'm on, I'm on their website at the moment, equitas.ai, and you look at the team and they're diverse. And it's what's really clear to me is this company has purpose. It has purpose to change the landscape and make uh, interview process fair. And that is the piece that I'm really keen to ensure that our listeners and people watching this, because you can watch this on YouTube, take from this is that this company is a disruptor. It's there to support and enable and allow organizations to make better decisions. Because I think the challenge is, Michael, is no one enjoys to be told that they, they have bias. No one wants to be told that, but we all do. And if there is a software which allows us to have any sort of blind biases picked up and ensure that the best person 
gets the job, it's pure upside for every organization involved in that. So again, I, I want to thank you in terms of what you're doing at Equitas and the change that is going to make moving forward. Now, we're running out of time, and I'm really keen to understand two, two more questions, if I may, is what are the future plans for, for Equitas in terms of expansion? You've mentioned education, healthcare is a big area for you, but all about professional services, financial services, which potentially aren't as diverse as some of these industry sectors. Have you got plans to, to grow into those areas, Michael? Yeah, and like for us, it's incredibly important to have the right partners um, in order to do that. So healthcare is big for us this year. We want to keep growing. Uh, we want to keep helping out different healthcare providers. We want to keep building out that healthcare question bank and making sure that that's something that adds value. Financial services, yes, and that's a hard one. You're right. If if there's not a diverse range of candidates applying. A lot of it comes down to the attraction piece as well, but there's other tools and technology providers out there that we're partnering with where we think, hey, if we can get a super diverse um, pool of talent who's going to apply to these roles, how do Equitas come in at the later points and stages to really help out there as well um, on, on top of it? So, yes, I'm, I'm not going to promise you like uh, financial uh, sort of sector is number one for, for 2022, but it's, it's a sector that we can't ignore um, in the long run. Public sector, I think, is going to be huge. A um, lot of high volume contracts uh, coming through there as well. And yeah, technology, uh, I would say, is obviously putting a, a greater focus and effort into it. So um, it could be an interesting one in the long run. But again, it comes down to that level of structure and whether they're ready for, for our approach and the way that we do it or whether they prefer like a leaner streamlined approach. But let, let's find out. And, and, and this is what's um, you know, really consistent with, with Michael as a, as a leader, because he, one of his key values is, is patience. And he felt it's the right time for Equitas as a business. What he's recognized in terms of where he's getting extra value and repeat business and stickiness and engagement is healthcare and education. Now, financial services could provide a higher margin but is the industry ready or is Equitas ready? So what he's been able to do is really develop and get deep into a segment before making the decision of whether to pivot into financial and professional services. We come to the end of, of this podcast and we've spoken about Michael's role models, which are our family, his uncle, his mum, his dad, the explorers. Um, he's spoken about the challenges of, of being an entrepreneur, the setbacks, the late nights, the hard work, but listening, going to a meeting and asking questions and not being afraid of, of failure. The last question, Michael, that I would like to give you is what advice would you give your younger self? And what advice, this is actually two questions, but what advice would you give to our listeners with regards to being able to, to trace their dreams and ambitions in terms of whether it's working in an organization or whether it's a business idea. I think something you said there, Michael, super powerful. Um, don't be afraid of failure. I think everyone is, and they're worried about reputation, risk, what happens if things goes wrong. But the more you feel and learn from it, the better um, as well. And like, it would be the two other key messages that I talked about earlier, which is like, hey, good things come to those wait. So just be patient for it um, as well. And yeah, like the listening piece is the hardest one for me to learn. It's just 
you're so keen to talk about yourself or say what you're doing sometimes whereas it can be far better just to sit and listen in um, and even get comfortable with silences sometimes on meeting sometimes that's the most powerful thing you can do because then someone will, might fill it with pure gold um, and it's not always just just you I think on that note Michael Blakely co-founder of Equitas I would like to thank you for taking the time to join us on the progression puzzle our listeners will be able to listen to this on Spotify, download it and listen at their leisure. But again, on a personal note, I would like to thank you for sharing your journey with us and very much look forward to seeing the exponential growth in 2022. Thank you for joining me on the Progression Puzzle. To our listeners, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Michael. Thank you for listening to the Progression Puzzle. Brought to you by Barrington Hibbert Associates. If you enjoyed this episode, which I truly hope you have, please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others find the show. For more information on how Barrington Hibberts can help you to maximize the power of difference, head over to www.barringtonhibbert.com. Join us next time for more pieces of the progression puzzle.